are. Here we are. Welcome back. Welcome back. Science in between. Sure is. Ollie and Scott. Uh, I'm Scott. He's Ollie. Yep. In case there's any confusion about that. <laughs> I do don't know. Vo- Maybe do our voices sound enough alike that people I, confuse us, you think? Probably not. Uh, I don't think so. And I don't think anyone who has met us would confuse us for one another. I mean, I mean I, if, if we I'm, both have hats on, which right? is not uncommon, and... Right? Uh, you know, we often dress alike, so there could be some minor sure. confusions. Yeah. But, I mean, I, yeah. I mean, we're both, we're neither of us really tall people, you know? No, that no, is true. We are not. Yeah. So there you go. So there could be some, some confusion. So we are <laughs> recording this on, I'm going to jump in the episode. Yeah. You know, cause, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Because why not? Why not? Um, we're actually recording this uh, uh, on our first day of, of classes for the fall semester. So it's your first day. So we don't usually talk about when we're recording this because it's recorded out there in time. But, you know, I think this is important because, you know, your uh, school day starts. I mean, your school year starts, your your academic year, fall semester starts today and mine does too. And this is the the, the morning we're recording at the morning of our fall semester. And we're talking about something that we've talked about before is chat GPT, but specifically um, one of the things that happens usually on the first day of classes in, in college uh, environments is the distribution of syllabi. Syllabi day. Yeah. And so one of the things that um, about like maybe a week or two ago, uh, a colleague had sent to me uh, some example language uh, from Temple University, um, some, some syllabi language that would include some, you know, guidance on how students can or cannot use ChatGPT in their classrooms. Right. And I was like, wow, this is really good. Um, and I was like, well, what what other things? Because I, I didn't know, I hadn't really thought that much about like what syllabi language I was going to include about ChatGPT. And so this was a couple examples, but I was like, okay, well, what else is out there? And I started rummaging around, digging through, looking this, looking that. Um, and I found there's a ton of resources out there. And so I blogged about this last week. And so if you're interested in looking at the blog, it's, I'll, I'll put it, we'll put a link in the show notes, but mostly it's about links to resources. That's mm-hmm. basically what the, the post is. Um, I didn't spend a whole lot of time talking about like what I'm going to actually include. You know, yeah. I, so I think that's a really good conversation for us to have is what 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 did you include or have you thought about this? And mm-hmm. I will say one of the things that's what that I thought was really interesting was the University of Vermont included reflection questions to to for faculty to consider if they're gonna include something around ChatGPT and let's just call it generative AI. Because I mean ChatGPT yeah. is an example yeah. of of generative AI. Um, it says, what kind of relationship do you want to have with your students? Mm-hmm. I think it's a really good question yeah. because because you having you cl- creating a police state in your classroom, right? Yeah. It's something. I mean, that's a that's a different type of relationship, you know? Yeah. It's totally different. And, I, you know, interestingly, one of the I haven't read the, the UVM. I'll look at those. But one of the questions um, that I would have as a learning person is, what do you see uh, the relationship between um, right answers and your students' ideas to be? Yeah. Right? Because that's yeah. part of the the nut of this is like, well, what what is it that, you know, that what do you think of as the correct answers and where do they come from? I think this is an important thing about 
the consideration of generative AI. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, I think when we're looking at like fact-based world, right? You know, like there's a right answer. Um, and I think that's the thing with this is that we have to understand that how people approach generative AI in their classrooms is is different because everything's contextual, right? Like your classroom is yeah. going to be different than my classroom, different content areas. I know some English folks, some writing friends of mine who are like going, yeah, no, no, no go. You cannot yeah. use generative AI in this class at all. And I'm sort of in the middle, you know, mm-hmm. um, because I'm sort of in the place where I want to help uh, have students use it. I want to help them understand how to use it. I want to help them um, brainstorm or come up with ideas or use it maybe to help them edit or help them, you know, but I don't want it to write for them. I don't mm-hmm. want them to, I, I don't want to replace them. I want them to, you know, augment what they're doing, right? Make yep. the stuff they're doing better or help yep. to help them do it better. I, 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 I want to return to these questions because I think they're important. I think you'll, and they'll resonate with you. Uh, mm-hmm. Second question. Oh, is I see. Uni- here, yeah. yeah. University of Rwanda says, what kind of relationship do you want to have with your students? What do you want your students to know about you and your philosophy, specifically philosophy of teaching? Mm-hmm. Um, how can you foster trust? Mm-hmm. How much support from AI is too much? And where and how should students disclose their use of AI? Yeah, I, I think, think that's really good. Yeah, yeah, really good because I think that um, you know we get too much, too, we get too caught up in the do we ban it? Is it good? Is it evil? I mean, mm-hmm. it's out there. Let's let's just face it, it's out there. Yeah. Students are going to use it, and so figuring out like or at least you know communicating to students that one you recognize that it exists. Mm-hmm. But also explaining or providing some sort of rationale that says, here's how we're going to use it in this class, and this is the reason why. Or yeah. not going to use it in this class, and this is the reason why. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, I think you can – this harkens back to the conversations that were had about calculators in mathematics, sure. right? I yeah. mean, which is a much simpler version of this. But, but you know, and now calculators – including very sophisticated graphing calculators are standard part of the curriculum in, in schools. So um, in, in many respects, you can think of this, at least in some respects, this is sort of like a calculator for language. I mean, it, right. it doesn't really understand what it's doing, but it can generate things for you based on things you ask it to do. What's, well, I mean, it's just the, the latest of, uh, you know, a slew of technologies that have come down the pike. Remember, remember when like Wikipedia, you know, was like this yeah. is like 2005 or something. Wikipedia yeah. was the thing. You cannot use Wikipedia. Right. Well, I mean, like no one's making that claim now. I mean, I mean, it's just like we have to know what what it's good for, right? Yeah. I mean, no one's saying, hey, just like wipe Wikipedia from you know your ex- the, the existence of all. Of your research. No, lots right. of people go to Wikipedia first to go, you know, hey, what's the background? Oh, it has links. I'm going to click on these links. So here's the primary sources. It's understanding what it's good for, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting too. Another conversation that harkens back to, I just was listening to a podcast that I listen to sort of regularly, which is um, uh, uh, Cautionary Tales, Tim Harford's Cautionary Tales. Yeah, and yeah. he had one about Luddites and where Ludditism actually came from. And it was people who were mill millers worked in, in um fabric and they would they did this this sort of cleaning up of the fabric. And it was very it was very painful work for them and 
um, and very labor intensive. And then they brought in machines that would do it and do it faster and simpler. And those people would storm these mills and break the machinery. Um, and it, you know, it, it's exactly the same thing. Like we're, we're trying to grapple with, there's this new technology. It takes some of the work from humans and does it for us. Um, but we have to decide what our relationship to that tool is. Um, you know, in the long term, usually these things um, play out pretty well overall for for humans at a big grain size. But the problem is, in the interim, it often causes a lot of pain and suffering for individual right. human beings. And we're seeing that with the writer strike. We're seeing that with the you know, the, the response to generative AI in, in, um, in other areas of our lives where people, you know, are, are less comfortable with this stuff They're you know, so I think, I think it's, yeah, it's super complicated and, and it is grappling with what are the affordances and constraints of these technologies and how do we take advantage of them without, um, completely, uh, allowing it to take over. Yeah. I, I think I said, uh, I read this someplace that, um, one of the things that people were saying is, okay, you're not going to be replaced by AI, but you're going to re be replaced by somebody who uses AI. Mm, interesting. Know? And yeah. and I don't know. I mean, I'm, I, that whole replacement theory stuff, like whenever like will technology replace us and all that. I'm not. I'm not in. I don't buy into all that. Like that. There's going to be just robots who do all the things, all the all of our work. You know, that's just not. You know what I think the future holds. But I do think that we can't as teachers and teacher educators you know deny the existence of chat gpt we can't live right. in this like bubble and just say it doesn't exist just look away you know avert right. your eyes yeah you no know? so i mean i included language did you include any language in your syllabi for uh for generative ai no i did not and and i think part of the reason i didn't is um, it's still unclear to me, given the structure and organization of my course uh, that I'm teaching this fall, how it could impact, like how students could use it in a way that I would find uncomfortable, right? So I don't, we'll probably talk about ChatGPT and how they might use it, but I'm, I'm not concerned with the sort of, um, I don't know, that with the, with the impact on, assessment, essentially, which I think is where most of the hullabaloo in higher ed is about is, well, how do I know that this individual person produced this individual artifact that they turned in to get a grade for themselves? Um, and that for me is is not is like an edge case in what I do. So it, there's not a lot of value for me in putting that language into the syllabi because there's not many opportunities for them to cheat because of the way the course is structured. Sure. Yeah, so I have a, I'm teaching a um, three different classes this fall, and they're very different. Like one's an undergraduate, and I have two graduate classes. One is one is a almost a thesis class. It's like an action research based class. Mm. It's the capstone course in our master's program, and it involves a lot of writing, and yeah. it allows involves a, like drafting a literature review, writing research questions, you know, going through and actually collecting data and analyzing the data, and then at the end writing up this big, you know, huge what amounts to be like you know usually like a twenty twenty five page page paper. Yeah, that is something that could be, and it's an online class. So while mm -hmm. I get to, I've worked yeah. with these students at multiple points. Um, the there's opportunity there for a student to say, hey. I'm just going to offload all of this writing to chat GPT. Yeah. Right. And For sure. I, right. And so I, I recognize that will they write better if they get help from chat GPT? Yes. Mm -hmm. So 
what I've I've done is spelled out that okay, they can they can use it to help maybe create an outline. Like, hey, I want to create an outline for this. You know, how maybe ChatGPT can help that. Maybe it can help with brainstorming. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not going to replace them as they they write. I may include, and I'm still working through the module for this that I'll include later in the semester, is I may have them upload a paper or and then help get feedback from it. Or like, mm-hmm. hey, here's, you know, here's a section, you know, how could I improve this? Mm-hmm. You know, using it to give feedback on how to better now, like this, we are as a university, we subscribe to a uh, a writing tutors tutoring service, mm-hmm. which I used a lot because what they could do is they could submit the paper and within like twenty four or thirty six hours, they get a pretty in depth feedback from you know a a human reviewer that mm-hmm. would say, hey, here are areas that you need to work on, and you know I would suggest this this not actually doing the editing but giving feedback on how to improve. Mm-hmm. That system is has been discontinued. Not only about our university, but the actual service who does it, right? It's, so they're not doing it anymore because they know they can't, you know, compete in the AI world. Interesting. Yeah, I know. And so you mean they all... explicitly came out and said that, or they just, or you're well, making that assumption? Well, I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just curious whether they actually said like we feel like we're no longer viable. Well, I don't know if I've heard that from the company, but I've heard it from our university that's saying, okay. hey. That I think Pearson was is the group who actually owns this this oh, service yeah. called Smart Smart. Not surprising. Think, smart Thinking, I think, is what's called. Okay. Um, so Smart Thinking was this you know service, and it didn't just do you know writing; it also did it for math and some other things too, which was really great for our online uh, students who couldn't come to campus because mm-hmm. we have a writing center on campus, we have a math center on campus. But if you're you know an online student, those those services, especially working adults. Those are things that are are difficult for our students to like really engage with. And so this was a great service that they could, and we've had it for probably four or five years and our students use it a lot. And I built it into Mm -hmm. my class and that's gone. It's gone. Poof. Yeah. Well, I mean, I do think, I mean, I think one of the interesting things I just recently heard two guys talking about chat GPT and sort of the affordances and constraints of it. And, you know, one of the things that, um, that I think folks need to get their heads around in terms of these generative AIs that are large language models is, um, for lack of a better way of describing it, they make stuff up. And so when you ask them to generate text for you, they're doing it on an algorithm based on a massive data set of words, but they treat all those words. They don't know what any of those words mean. They're just treating they're just pattern finding devices and so the text that they produce doesn't isn't necessarily correct in lots of ways right so if you treat it like it's google but you can talk to it you're wrong it's going to give you stuff that is patently incorrect and you know make up like the classic one that we've seen in academia is they'll make up references right and but it'll also make up theories or other things in the text because it doesn't understand that it's making them up, quote unquote. It's just writing out sentences and the sentences are are culled from this massive data set. And so I think s- students don't necessarily understand that and understand that if you're using it to generate original text, it may generate things that are really badly wrong. Um, and being able to identify that, like what, what you're talking about, where you upload something and have it help you improve it, that's very different because you've written yep. it, you know the core of it and w- its truth value. 
But if you're asking it to generate stuff, you don't know how much of that stuff is right or wrong. And yeah, it'll, it I, generates stuff that seems perfectly plausible. So that's what makes it complicated. I've heard that called like hallucinating, like the, the AI is hallucinating. Yeah, I've like heard that, that too. I think that's stupid. But Yeah. Well, I think that's one of the things that they're trying to do is they're trying to bridge this gap between like the generative AI community, right? And the rest of us is like, okay, how do you understand what this thing is actually doing? Because like getting into like actually how it produces that thing Mm -hmm. is like really inside baseball. It's really like digging into the like, okay, this is how generative AI works. Right. Right. But But I think, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. But then like explaining to like a, a, a lay person that says, Hey, okay, this is what's happening. It's actually making stuff up. Well, I mean, it's not really making it up. It's making patterns based on the things and seeing patterns. And then, you know, that's it's, yeah, it, it, it doesn't know what any of the words actually mean. Right. So right. it can't create meaning in that sense. All it can do is reproduce patterns. And I think, yeah, one of the contrasts I heard this described against is an expert system, which have been around for a long time. And those are computer systems where you load a lot of information about a particular subject, real authenticated truth information into this expert system. And then you can query the system to ask it questions about that information. Well, that's a very different thing. In that case, you know that the information in there is correct. But the problem with these large language models is they take the whole internet. And we all know that the whole internet has a lot of junk out there. And that's all put into the machine as part of the pattern making process. And so it's, it's significantly less reliable in terms of its factual basis. That doesn't mean it's not powerful tool. It just means that you have to understand the the limitations of the tool. Yeah. It's like, I think this might be a good example. It's like you walk into a kitchen. The generative AI works like this. It just grabs things that are next to each other and starts seeing, okay, these things are always next to each other. They must mean something together, right? Yeah. And so you walk in the kitchen and you just go, okay, hey, these spices are next to each other. And hey, these things, these canned goods are next to each other. And yeah, these things are next to each other in the refrigerator. And you just dump all of the stuff into a big bowl, mix it up. Mm-hmm. It may make something pretty tasty, but yeah. it also may not, right? Yeah. It may make something that just doesn't taste very good at all. Right. And, exactly. and and so I think that's the critical part with with people using AI is they have to recognize that we still play a role. We still have a, a role to play in that we have to and our students do too. And they if they see it as just okay, uh, I've um the prompt was 250 words in a discussion board. Okay, I'm going to ask it to give me a 250 word discussion board copy paste, and it's nonsense mm. that yeah. this they may have completed the assignment, but it didn't taste very good. Right? right. Well, yeah, I mean, and and I think the you know again the thing that this rubs up against that is really what we're talking about because I mean the syllabi is the and the and the language about generative AI in it um, is sort of just the warning label on the package. But inside the package, like how you design your course is also something that needs serious consideration. How are you doing your assessments? And to your point, like, are you, are you encouraging them to use these generative AI tools in productive ways as part of those assignments? Um, But all of that, like thinking about what it is that you do to assess your students and their, um, and their performance in your class. I mean, that's really what this is about. The generative AI or whatever is just some new tool that's impacting that relationship between you and the student about assessing them. So I think, you know, it it does go back to these bigger questions about 
what is the relationship between, you know, these questions that the University of Vermont is asking? What's the relationship between you and your your student? And right. what do you want it to be? And how does generative AI play a role in that? But also, how does how does the way that you assess your students and the kind of activities that you engage them in in class, how do you think about those things differently? Yeah. So I I talked to some other, some colleagues who are like all over the place with this, you yeah. know, and and I think that's the important thing is that you know people are going to land in very different places based on their you know ways of assessing their students, especially in their content areas, you know people who are, you know, teaching writing or teaching, you know, some like, like for me, I was like, I had a, a conversation on Friday um, with our new teachers, our interns. So we have, uh, we had a big kickoff meeting where, mm-hmm. you know, I talked about, talked to them about technology and, and ChatGPT came up and mm-hmm. um, they're like, okay, what can, what can we use it for? I'm like, look, if you want to use it to come up with lesson plan ideas, that's awesome. Like, if you're like, Hey, I have a, I want to teach, you know, this book or this content area, and I want to, you know, mix it with, I don't know, something. And, you know, if it comes, it can generate some ideas for you, that's awesome. But if it's going to write a lesson plan for you, then nah, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a difference in terms of, you know, does it seed your creativity because it gives you new possibilities or does it replace your creativity? And I don't want it to replace because like at this stage of, of their learning, they need to learn how do you best craft a, a lesson or how do you think about, you know, building a lesson, engage students and, and, you know, support their learning and all that, you know, and I don't trust the you know, I don't trust chat GPT to do that, you know? Yeah. Right. But it, I mean, it, it, as you were saying that I was thinking, gosh, this sounds exactly like the arguments in mathematics around calculators. It's like, well, how much math do you want the people who are using the calculators to know and understand and how much are you willing to let them offload onto the calculators and, and not know and understand and just push buttons and, and say, okay, well, here are the buttons I push and then I get the answer I want. Um, I think it's really interesting. I mean, math is a, is a cleaner example of it because it's a very structured discipline and all that. And language is a much messier complex environment for doing this. So it's not quite the same, but it is the same fundamental question, which is what is our relationship to the machine that supports us? Um, and you know, you, I'm sure there were arguments when, well, there, there were arguments when books came out about how dangerous they were. And I'm sure there were arguments about typewriters when they came out. Certainly there were arguments about blackboards in classrooms when they came out. Right. So there's always been this tension between emerging technologies and, and how we think about the relationship between humans and those emerging technologies, um, they're just getting thornier as we get into more complex technologies, right? In the old days, it's like, well, how do you feel about looms or typewriters? That was relatively straightforward. Now we're getting into very um, interesting territory where like New York Times had an article about Mark Maron. Um, I think it was Mark Maron. Um, it was a comedian competing against an AI uh, that was based on Sarah Silverman in a, in a, like, Oh, I saw that article. Yeah. A stand-up competition. And, you know, it sounds like he didn't do a very good job, but it was pretty, pretty bad um, on both sides. Uh, but, you know, these are the kinds of questions, you know, it's like, this is the new version of chess 
with Deep Blue and and Gary Kasparov, where you've got computers competing now with people about stuff to see, like, well, can they make stuff funny? Can they make stuff dramatic? Can they write scripts for television shows? Right. All this stuff. Well, there was an uh, this is the Adam Grant podcast recently, the rethinking. Mm -hmm. Um, They had Sal Khan on. Who mm-hmm. you know I've I've seen speak and he's a you know he's the guy who created Khan Academy, so they have a whole AI based thing that they just released within the last like may, month or so and they're piloting it in a couple different schools and it may you know be more widespread in the in the coming months but uh what they have is a, a an AI based tutor mm-hmm. that so they can work with an individual student and say okay these are the students background knowledge these are their interests. Mm-hmm. And these are the things that we know about this student, and we can use that to tailor the tutoring for the student. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gets a little like, you know, a little wacky, a little spooky. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that's different. Like, so it's like, hey, do this math thing. Um, and it's constantly, you know, changing and adapting. And mm-hmm. I mean, adaptive technology has been out there for a while. Like there's um, when it adapts and it collects data and it has these huge uh, data sets based on, okay, if a student misses this problem, then we know they typically have this misunderstanding or this, you know, area of need. Um, And so it's, it seems to be a logical connection to that. Right. Yeah, sure. But thinking about the lesson plan example, I see it as different because this the 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 intern the teacher is the person who's going to have to make that real time decision mm-hmm. and if they're following a script that ai has given them or following mm-hmm. a lesson plan that an ai has given them and when it kind of hits the fan yeah which it does which it does regularly you know regularly you know even you know best case scenario something happens and it's like okay you know let let's talk like low scale hey the whiteboard didn't work, right? Right, like, right. The projector isn't working or, yeah. hey, the internet went down. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. At what point, what point, what do you do then? It's like, yeah. if we don't, um, so it's, it's. I, I, I do see the connection between, you know, the calculators and AI and, and saying, it was like that example of like, hey, you know, are you always going to have a calculator on you? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the answer is yes. Yes, you are going to have a calculator. <laughs> Turns out. Turns out, you- Yes. Most of us have a calculator as yeah. one. They sleep with calculators now. People yeah. sleep with calculators at their bedside. Let's just yep. face it, you know. Yep. Um, but I think this is different because you as a teacher have to make real-time decisions and real-time pivots. You know, mm-hmm. they say like teachers make thousands of decisions, you know, mm-hmm. every single day. And some are little, some are big. But if we don't help them you know, understand how to make those decisions because they're offsetting that stuff, then I worry a little bit um, about their ability to make those decisions. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think going back even to the original premise with Sal Khan and these sort of automated tutor things, which also have been, I mean, Skinner proposed these in sure, 1956, yeah. <laughs> right? This yeah, is not I show like that video, right, I've shown that video in my class, like yeah. with the old, like, you know, yeah. teaching machines. It's like, uh, like it, like it looks like one of those, you know, old mimeograph, not mimeograph. Right. What's the, the things that, oh, the, uh, um, uh, superfish. What was it? Um, uh, microfish. Oh, microfiche. Micro, yeah. Yeah. Microfiche. microfiche. Yeah. yeah. It looked like microfiche. Like you're just like going yeah. through and that's like scan. And then yeah, it's like, 
and then yeah. the next one show up. It was great. Really yeah, high tech. Well, that's hey man. My my dad, uh, when I ended up moving to Ann Arbor as a child, the reason I moved there is because he was going to work for Xerox in their microfiche and microfilms division. Wow. So uh there you go. There's a little shout out to my dad if he's listening. But yeah, that was back in the day. Yeah, so wow. I mean, going back to Sal Khan though, this idea of like algorithm as culture, I think is where you get into really tricky territory. Like when you ask kids a bunch of questions about themselves and then you ask, you give them a question, they answer it. And you said it, which I think is the accurate way to describe it, which is like, if the kid got it wrong, the most likely reason they got it wrong is X. So we're going to give them Y. Like all of that assumes a relationship that isn't there and cultural context that isn't there. Like when you know your kids in your classroom, you have a much better sense of why they're getting things right and wrong. Right. And, and I think this idea that like these questions can, can fit in for those is, is, you know, again, it goes back to this fundamental notion of like, what is the relationship between the teacher and the student? Is it about information transfer from one to the other, or is it something more subtle and nuanced about relationships and understanding cultural context and understanding, you know, what these things are that are being said in your classroom? Because that whatever question he's asking presumes a sort of deculturalized, decontextualized answer is always the right one. But those questions get interpreted by humans and they answer them the way they want to. And uh, and it's not as simple and as straightforward as that. And so the, again, this idea that like you're gonna you're gonna use an algorithm to recreate culture, I think is is where it gets tricky. Now, as the algorithm gets more and more sophisticated, it gets closer and closer to looking like culture, which is what we have with ChatGPT. But um, but I do think we have to keep reminding ourselves, especially in t- teaching and learning contexts, that generating text that sort of sounds like a person did it is not the same thing as knowing your kids in your classroom and being able to support their learning. Yeah, it's this is an interesting aside, and I think, but it, it connects is that we've uh, over the last handful of semesters, um, we've had some some teacher candidates who were probably landing someplace on the autism spectrum, mm-hmm. right? And so when when we work with those students, they have um, th- they need more support in terms of engaging with students. Yeah, and and what's hard is that we try to give them an algorithm. Right? We try to say, you know. If a student says this, you know, or here's how you, you know, engage with the kids when they come into your classroom. And it's really hard to write that algorithm, right? To like to provide yeah. the, because it's so contextual, right? It's like, because right. you could say the same exact words to like seven different students with seven different situations and it lands differently every time. Very differently. Right. And, and being able to both recognize that nuance and, um, you know, deal with it in the moment, like recognize that it landed wrong and saying, oh, now I have to pivot. I have to change because what I just did didn't work. Like none of that information happens in a system like, like Khan Academy, because you, you don't have that response. You have the answer that the kid gave. And the assumption is that the answer tells you all the information, but the truth is it tells you just a tiny bit of the information. And that's where I think this, this idea sort of uh, unravels a little bit that at least in the short term, we're going to build these systems that are going to teach kids better than, than people do. Now that said, we've talked a lot about differences in pedagogy. And if, if you're a very traditional teacher, 
you're more easily replaced. I mean, let's just put it yeah. that way. If you're if you've got a transmission model and your idea is, well, all I have to do is tell kids stuff. Well, pretty soon, an adaptive video-based platform like Khan Academy, if it can adjust for individual kids, it's going to replace you pretty quickly because, because if all you're doing is doing a PowerPoint and having kids take notes, well, they can do that from a video pretty well. Yeah. And that I, th- I think I, I, I had a, a colleague who said the people, not uh, technology is not going to replace everybody, but the people it can replace, it should, you know? And yeah. I was like, oh, that's, that's, like, that's right. right. It's maybe it's an interesting take. Um, Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think we've got, we've got a long way to go with all this stuff, right? Where we, you know, um, another, another analogy I heard that was really interesting is, you know, talking about technology and developing in areas and um, this idea that like comparing it to the way that we developed flying things. Right. So when we first started developing flying things, we mostly look at things that fly and try and mimic them. So early flying devices mostly had flappy wings like birds yeah. do. Um, and it turns out that's a terrible design <laughs> for for the way that we want to get around. And now we have jet planes that don't look at all, well, sort of look like birds in some respect, but for the most part, don't operate like birds. But the result is that we have much more powerful and, and faster ways of moving around because we abandoned this, it's got to match the old, it's got to match the natural system. So the engineered system should look like, and I think the same thing is going to happen or is happening with computers is, and, and these generative AIs is right now we're trying to basically make these systems like flappy birds. And eventually we're going to say, actually, there's ways to do this that we haven't discovered yet because we haven't played in this space long enough that are the equivalent of the jet plane to the bird that are their own systems that are designed and engineered to be the most productive for what we want them to do. But right now we're spending a lot of time trying to mimic like, oh, we want computers that look like brains. It's like, well, we probably don't. We probably want computers that do their own thing really well, not these, you know, wetware neural network computers, because we're not going to be able to build them the way that brains work. And there's going to be lots of disadvantages to building them that way because they're an entirely different kind of system. Yeah. And and I think that's the, we're we're in the early stages of of you know generative AI, yeah, so not good, not yeah. not as a not as a society because I mean you know our AI folk would say hey we've been at this for you know decades but this is the first semester that we really have this on some large scale like you know this you know Chat GPT you know really dropped last you know November so November mm-hmm. late November so and it didn't really catch fire with students in the spring. I mean, by the tail end of mm-hmm. the spring semester, I started hearing, you know, from my colleagues, Hey, I got my first example. Yeah. I got my first example of a student who you know submitted a paper or submitted this. And so I think now it's, you know, part of the collective consciousness of teachers that like, Hey, this is something that we have to prepare for. And so I know a lot of K 12 teachers are preparing for it. A lot of um, university professors are working on it. Um, and and really thinking about how this is going to play out. Um, so will we land differently next semester when we talk about like the spring semester? Because like I suspect there's going to be some some <laughs> lots of examples yeah. of students doing things this this fall where they're going to be you know using ChatGPT or generative AI Bard or Dolly or whatever example right. you know. 
Now, thankfully, there's the learning management systems are building things in to kind of check this stuff. So it's like, hey, you know, it looks like this discussion post uh, may have been written by ChatGPT or, you know, certainly turned it in, has it, that, that stuff in it. But I think that we have to, um, our responses to students who submit this kind of work is going to be as diverse as our response responses going in. I mean, our, yeah. our, our, you know, philosophical stances going in because we're not people who are just going to say, Hey, you know what? This is, this is a student plagiarizing. Let's, let's boot them out, yeah. you know? And then we're going to have other people that are like, okay, this is a teaching opportunity. Yeah. And, yeah. But I and, think, you know, again, it goes to this trust issue and how the, how the students interact with it too. Absolutely. So, you know, if the students are doing it in a sneaky way, then you have an implied sense that they know that what they're doing is wrong and therefore they're breaking the rules on some level. But I, I agree with you. I think our, our sort of student affairs and ethics boards at our, our institutions are going to be overwhelmed in the next year trying to figure out which of these are offenses that require sanction and which of these are just like, you know, because there's also people just innocently using it, not thinking they're what they're doing is okay but isn't and then there's people who are intentionally using it because they know it's not okay but they know it's going to help them do better and um and communicating that and and figuring out how to communicate i mean really what this crafting a syllabus about it, it, as those those university of vermont questions indicate is this is you trying to communicate what the level of trust is between you and your students. What, what do I trust you to do? What do I not trust you? to do? Yeah. And I think the, the only thing I would add to the university of Vermont questions are maybe you want to consider what's your relationship between you, your content area and technology. Like what's the, what's the relationship there? Because, yeah. you know, different, you know, different content areas have different relationships with technology in terms of mm-hmm. it as a, as a creative process as a creative support. And so I think that's something that's important. And I also think that there's one that, I, and it talks about philosophy. The one of the questions talks about philosophy, but I think that, you know, uh, situating a question around pedagogy and learning, mm-hmm. I think is also, yeah. I mean, I take it to mean the philosophy means that, like, what do you, what do you believe? But I think that's something that might be a little bit, you know, more direct in terms of, Hey, you know, how do you believe people learn and what role does technology play with that? Yeah. You know? And, and I think in addition to that, a question that is explicitly about assessment, like what are the purposes of the assessments in your class and what role do you see in technology helping or not students do those assessments? Because it, because really it comes down to, in most classrooms, it come down, it comes down to the assessments. Like the rest of the stuff, I think most faculty care less about, but when it comes to, I have to assign a grade to Ollie, I need to know how much Ollie did to, to earn that grade, quote unquote, earn that grade, deserve the grade, whatever, how, whatever language you want to use, right? That's where the, the rubber meets the road with these generative AIs, because, you know, how much was Ollie, how much was ChatGPT? Well, you know, that's a conversation that you have to have explicitly, but it also impacts how you design your assessments. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the University of Vermont questions are really great starter points. I think there are mm-hmm. lots of resources and I will put my, I don't really usually promote my blog on, on, on this podcast. I try to keep my pep, you know, my peanut butter and chocolate kind of separate, but, you yeah. know, I think it's a, one of those times where, 
um, I think um, adding a link on there might help be helpful. I mean, honestly, and I said this before the show, like that post just blew up. Like it yeah. just like you say, I get like, you know, you know, a couple dozen people read a posted, you know, a day or something I've written. But uh, this one just like one day there was like over 200 and some odd people who, mm-hmm. who checked it out, which is pretty cool. You know, yeah, that's, that's well, pretty that's awesome. awesome. Yeah. So uh, chat GPT syllabi, you could probably put that to. Put a yeah, pin in, put that a pin now. in it for now. We'll revisit it at some point, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's as it's developing and changing and evolving, I think that, you know, we'll probably have to cycle back and talk about this even more often yeah. because I think there'll be more examples of, you know, things where it intersects with, with learning and teaching and, yeah. you know, assessment and all that. Yeah. yeah. So you have a joy? I do. I have a joy. So, um, over the weekend, um, I was, I was home alone. My, the rest of my family were in various locations. So, um, so I was looking for something to watch that was just for me. Um, and so what I watched was, uh, John Mulaney's new special baby J. Um, and I don't know if folks know John Mulaney. Um, he's, he's, uh, you know, I mean, his, his new special is about his, um, his addiction and his, um, rehab. Uh, so he's had a bumpy ride the last few years, um, both personally and professionally. Um, but he's a very funny guy and his early specials I've really enjoyed. And this one was no different. I mean, he's, he's really funny guy. And, um, you know, this is mostly self-deprecating humor because he's talking about how he really sort of did his best to try and kill himself with drugs Um, so it's, it's a, it's a really interesting watch, um, in that regard, but it's also hilariously funny. So, um, if you're a fan of stand up, I mean, he's a very, um, I mean, I would say this round, this particular one is less, um, less accessible. What's the right word? It's not for kids. Um, he, the part of the running gag in his, uh, in his show actually is he, he spots a young kid up in the balcony and asks him how old he is and the kids in fifth grade. And so he sort of talks about that, um, because a lot of his other work, or at least some of his other work is very intentionally accessible to younger people, but this one ain't that. So, uh, so it's, but it's, it's really good and, uh, and well done. And, and it's nice to see him sort of getting himself together and, uh, and getting back on track. So, um, yeah, John Mulaney, baby J. Yeah. I, I've, I've seen a bunch of his stuff come up in, you know, on my Instagram feed or Facebook and I, I just get sucked in cause he's so funny. Yeah. He's so funny. He, you know, he's a writer on SNL. He's, yeah. uh, you know, he's been, he's had his hand in a lot of projects that people have probably watched. Yeah, you know, he, for sure. He's, he was originally best known as a writer starting on right. SNL and other places. And he's also famously good friends with Pete Davidson, who um, is like his polar opposite in almost every regard. So it's, it's fascinating. Um, those yeah. two guys being buddies, but anyway, yeah, it's uh it's good stuff. So my, uh, my joy is also from Netflix. Um, yeah, right. I, so you know, I'm a um I'm a dumb action hero person, right? I like those. I get sucked into you know the books and and it's just mindless entertainment, right? Mm-hmm. And so um there's I'm I'm also a sucker for a really strong female lead, and mm-hmm. so Heart of Stone 
was mm-hmm. uh, showed up on Netflix about a week or two ago. It is Gal Gadot, who famously oh, yeah. is, is Wonder Woman. And mm-hmm. she. this is from the writers of one of the Mission Impossible movies. So it's very Mission Impossible, like, you know, mm-hmm. where, you know, she's part of a covert group of people who are, you know, international spies and, you know, super agents. It was pretty entertaining. If you like... You know, things exploding. You like a good car chase. You like some hand-to-hand combat. Mm-hmm. And, you know, two hours of just fun. Yeah. This is, right. you know, the it does take some you know twists and turns. There are some, you know, odd cameos like uh, Glenn Close makes an appearance, mm. which, you know, that's not a, you know, a, a, a huge Standard spoiler. Standard action movie. <laughs> Yeah, I just wasn't that wasn't on the bingo card for Heart of Stone, Glenn Close making an appearance yeah. in a very strange haircut, I would huh? say, but okay. I was like, hmm, well, look at that. Look at that haircut. <laughs> That's a choice. <laughs> That's a choice. That's a decision. All right. You rock it. You rock that Glenn Close. Um, but it, you know, I'm a I I I think it's a franchise they're setting up. I think yeah. it's gonna be one of those Netflix franchises, because there's a couple other ones that they've done this with. Um, you know, I think they have a Chris Hemsworth one, they have another one with another. So they're they're like trying to develop their own little, you know, Netflix um, you know, franchises. Yeah. And if that's it, if this if they make another one of these, I'm off on board, right? On I'm board. I'm here for it because I, you know, I love Mission Impossible. I've seen all those movies hundreds of times, you know. Um, yeah. So, Gal, and Gal Gadot is one heck of an action hero, you know. Yeah. So I believe it. Yeah. So I'm here yeah. for it. Right, I'm here cool. for it. Heart of Stone. Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, um, Chat GPT, Heart of Stone, John Mulaney. What yeah. what a full episode today was. What a full uh, episode, full of yeah. joys and stuff. Yeah, and if yeah. you're one of those people that are starting your fall semester, good luck. Good luck. Yeah, yeah we're we're all gonna need it. Yeah, and we'll catch you next time. In between. See you then. Bye now. <laughs>